Well, hello there, our listeners, once again in another beautiful Melbourne day. A very springy, blowy, moist air day. Not a problem, whatever day it is, it's a good day to be up, up and about. It's time for Left After Breakfast. Susanna with you this morning and joined by the 3CR resident historian, my co-host, Glenn. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Susanna, and good morning to Lister, my dear. You are waiting for, um, for me to say a resident historian, his and her historian, our, our historian. Story. But I didn't, and that left you with three seconds before oh, you realised, oh, you'd better say good morning back. Well, you've trained me so well, I didn't miss a beat, my dear. <laughs> How come it's a big if you want to support here? But remember, as I said in the classics, dolce et decorum est. Yeah, dolce et decorum est. Dolce et decorum est. And that was, uh, how, was that, that's Wolfert Owen who's quoting, was it, oh, was he quoting Horatio? Horatio. Yeah, it was, uh, Wolfert Owen, it's from Wolfert Owen yes. poem, and he quotes Horatio. But, um, you know, how sweet it is. And um, look, today, I'm mentioning Wolfert Owen, because we're going through an important event today, and um, I read The Age this morning. I had the ABC on the car radio, and um, I didn't see it mentioned. This day, 100 years ago, October 28, 1916, Australia voted no to conscript our young men, our men, to fight and die overseas. We voted no on this day. And um, where's the corporate media publicising it? There's naught out there. So today, I might discuss this event, because it's, it's a pretty important event. So what, tell us again, it is the anniversary. Today, it is the centenary. The centenary. The centenary of Australia voting no to conscript our men to fight and die in the Great Trade War. That's a centenary of, years today. of voting against conscription. That's right. The plebiscite was held today. And look, we go back to the, we've had a lot of stuff, you know, you know, Gallipoli stuff, blah, blah, World War One stuff, blah, blah. We had it ad nauseum for a while. But today is probably the most important event of this period. And it's, just, it's bypassed, unless you listen to 3CR, which is your only radio left. We know when World War One started, oh, a great trade war, there was an impression, an understanding it's up. We have by Christmas. It started August 1914. By December 1914, the boys behind will get the home fires burning. And it didn't work that way. Because 18 months, you know, more than 18 months, we, Australia invaded Gallipoli in April 25, 1915, which was eight months after the commencement of war. So basically by the middle of 1916, it wasn't working that way, you know. Because the rates were soaring, we saw the horrible fights on the battlefront of the Somme. Over 20,000 Australian casualties on the Somme. 20,000 Australians killed women. And the Somme was Passchendaele, Fromals, these places. So this war to end all wars, the war due over by Christmas 1914, had gone past Christmas 1914. They'd gone to 1915. It was now 1916. And men were dying in their droves. Men were being invalided. And the war kept going. And there was concern amongst the... Uh, how would you say, amongst the ruling classes, which I can't sort of say in a, in a classless society, the British ruling class felt, hmm, not enough men dying. We need more men to die to, to keep the home fires burning. Ah, we'll ask our faithful servants in Australia, give us more men. Give us more men to fight and die for the king and queen and the country. So the, uh, the what's the title here? The British Secretary of State for the Colonies met the Australian Prime Minister, Mr. Yes, Mr. Hughes, sorry, and uh, he discussed, Mr. Hughes, the need to have more men enlisting. Because, yes, your men are dying, but not enough for replacing the dead ones. We need more men. Can you bring conscription? And, look, Australia was unique. Other places had conscription. We didn't. 
But Billy Hughes, being a, a faithful, you know, servant of the, the monarchy, decided, yep, in Australia, we'll bring back conscription. We'll have more men brought into the army to fight and die in this great trade war. So Billy Hughes returned from meeting the Secretary of the Colonies and organised a plebiscite on conscription. And the plebiscite was worded, here we go. So this is the actual wording on the plebiscite this that people is the plebiscite. had to front up and vote for. Was it just men? Uh, no, but women had the vote. Because don't forget, we're the second nation in the world women voted. You know what the third nation was? No. You know the first nation? Well, New Zealand reckons it was them, but I reckon we beat them by a month, but it doesn't matter. Okay, Aotearoa was the first, or we were the second, and Finland was the third. Oh, well, of course. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> Absolutely. Of course, it, of course it would be Finland, yes. And good morning out there, Pekka, my dear old boy. Old Hello, Pekka. Have a horses. I haven't seen you for a while. We need to catch up for a beer in the bevy. Uh, bet in the bevy, sorry. Anyway, on October 1916, the people of Australia asked to answer the following question, yay or nay. So they were given, so they went into the polling booth. That's right. And they had this bit of paper. And, That's correct. And on the paper it was written this thing, and they just had to answer, well, they just had to tick a box yes. You tick yes or, or no. Or tick a box no. Yeah. Simple enough. So, so what was the question that they were... Okay, here we go. Are you in favour of the government having, in this grave emergency, the same compulsory powers over citizens for the term of this war, Outside the Commonwealth, as it now has in regard to military service within the Commonwealth. So, Hang on, can you say that again? I'm not sure what that means. I'll say it again. I'll say it slowly again. Are you in favour of the government having, in this grave emergency, in this grave, well, the well, same compulsory powers over citizens for the term of this war outside the Commonwealth as it now has in regard to military service within the Commonwealth. It means you could be conscripted for, for Australian save on Australian soil, but you could not be conscripted and sent overseas. And the government said, can we get your agreement to conscript our men to go overseas? Yeah, but to- that's not what that says, does it? That's, that's, that was the essence of it. Well, let's take out these in this grave times. What's the first thing? What's the first can, thing? Can you read it to me again, yeah. please? Are you in favour of the government I, having? Of the government having. So let's leave out that all the stuff about this grave times. The same compulsory power over citizens... To serve to, the same compulsory power over citizens for the term of this war outside the Commonwealth as it now has in regard to military service within the Commonwealth. So it doesn't actually tell you what the military serve, what oh, powers absolutely. it has in the military. So if people. Well, one, one, one make it simple. Yes, so the question's not very simple, is it really? Oh, well, the essence was, do you agree yeah. to conscript our men to go to Belgium, France, England, yes, that's Palatine, if, Mesopotamia? That's, that's if people knew. There wasn't any Mesopotamia. There was, it was indeed, my dear. Mesopotamia was it, well gone. It's no, it wasn't. 6,000 years it ago, was Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. It was called Mesopotamia in this period. It was part of the Ottoman Empire. There was a famous battle. The British got slaughtered at a place called Kut, K-U-T, which eventually, after the Ottomans were dissolved... It became modern Iraq, but it was called Mesopotamia in the period of time. It was called Mesopotamia 6,000 years ago. And it was in the early 20th century. The land century. between the rivers. Between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Yes. And the name was still used under the Ottomans in the period of World War One. Oh, they must have just done that for a joke. Well, they <laughs> did. Well, it wasn't a joke for the British at Kut who were butchered It's like calling France Gaul. That's a galling thing to say. Well, you know, it is. It, well, it is really. But anyway. But... Um, 
that's it, that's the question that was put to the people yeah. of Australia in 1916. This day, 100 years ago exactly, October 28, 1916. Well, all I can say is I'm glad that some people went around at the time and explained <laughs> what that question meant because it sounds pretty bloody meaningless. Uh, listen, will you let the... You know, look, tick this box, yes, to let the government have the same power as it's already got now. Well, I mean, it looks at first glance, it mm-hmm. had to be working out. And I'm glad it was explained to some people. Well, it was explained, and it was great leaders in the people like Vida Goldstein, um, Amelia Pankhurst, people like John Curtin, um, God, Frank Anstey, Frank Hyatt, many others in the Labor movement, the women's movement, the left per se, who said, hang on, hang on, there's some issues here. You're saying in your ways or words, you want us to give you the power to send us overseas. And um, it was a Brecht who said, you know, war is two workers at each end of a bayonet. And that's what it was about, a great trade war. And Australians voted no. We voted no. It wasn't a, wasn't a huge victory, which wouldn't surprise you because the meat at the time, the jingoism was extravagant, you know. Do you bet join the country, fight for king and country, you know? Are you a man? And the men who didn't go were sent white feathers, you know, because they were, they were gutless in the eyes of the, uh, the supporters of the war. Jingo, eh? Yeah. We don't, we don't want to go to orbit by jingo if we do. We got the men, yep. we got the guns, and we got the money too. Yeah, well, those of the money didn't go to the war, as we often yeah, mentioned, Mr. Men- Mr. Menzies, who was an officer in the army prior to the war breaking out, uh, resigned. When the war started, <laughs> he had a legal career, which was far more important than fighting the Bosch or Johnny Turk. Anyway, the plebiscite was a very narrow result for those opposing it. 51.6% of Australians voted no on the plebiscite. The same as the Brexit votes. It wasn't a, and interesting. In Victoria, and the Victoria had a very strong women's movement, a very strong labour movement, a very strong socialist party. Victoria voted yes to conscription. Australia voted I no. I find that hard to believe. We voted yes, despite look, despite Vida Goldstein, John Curtin, Frank Anstey, Australia voted yes to conscript. Victoria voted yes, but overall Australia voted no, and the, the powers that ran us were shocked. They were staggered. How could the people of Australia vote no? What, what will the king say? What will the empire do? We're, they're what horrified. What will the king say? Well, what you do, you try a second time again. You got <laughs> it wrong. You got if it wrong. You got it wrong. Go right, back again. That's right. But again, today's was centenary, and um, you know, we and, and and what happened the second time? Well, we can discuss it next year. What's the centenary next year? But it was even more overwhelming. Australia said no, not once, but twice. And again, we don't learn these things anymore. As I said, I've been awake for many hours, and I've seen nothing on the corporate TV or. Heard in the corporate radio, I've read in the corporate papers about the centenary. We heard a lot about the Gallipoli centenary. Oh, the centenary, the horrors of the Battle of the Somme and the, you know, from Mel. But what about today, which is a majestic, a marvellous day in Australia's democratic history? Well, we said no. We said no, we're not going to conscript our men just to fight no. and die. We just said no. We said, and they said no twice because, as I said, the British put pressure gay on Australians. And now we know the, well, the British didn't pressure Australians, did they? The this, bloody government of England pressured the Australian Prime Minister. Who pressured the Australian voters. Yes. But the British Secretary for Colonies was the one who had the word in the ear, Mr Hughes. Because I said... It was Billy Hughes, wasn't it? He little was, Billy Hughes. He that, was pressured. The little digger. Agreeable. But as I said, because so many Australians are being killed, when did more Australians to go and die? 
you know, and are going for what end? I mean, the war dragged on for four years in these, these horrible charnel houses of Europe. And uh, what gain, you know? What gain end of a day for the British or the Germans? Well, the British got the Middle East, I suppose. They took part of the uh, Ottoman Empire. And a lot of people made a lot of money. Uh, Krups, de Havilland. Coca-Cola. Daimler. Yeah, Coca-Cola Amateur sort of made more money in the next war. They made big well, they money. They made money. Oh, they never lost money. No one denies that. But today is the centenary in the game. Now, as well as me speaking this morning, tonight from 6pm at the Brunswick Library, Emeritus Professor Michael Hamill Green is speaking on conscription, the history of conscription in Australia. Its primary focus is today's event, but Michael also mentioned the issues, because they're going back 50 years down the track, those issues reappeared again. We'll go fight Vietnam, and we'll conscript our young men to fight and die in another trade war. And again... Australians didn't vote for the second time, but Australians voted their feet. We saw the big moratoriums, so many Australians refused to be conscripted. So tonight, 6pm, Brunswick Town Hall, come along and do us a favour and learn about our history. What I'm, um, mm-hmm. what I keep looking at, Glenn, actually, strangely enough, is in 1916 mm-hmm. uh, that we didn't have conscription. So the plebiscite was put out to say, you know, vote vote yes or no for conscription and we voted no. We voted no a second time too. But then in the 70s what happened was the law just passed. Look, there was scope initially in World War One for conscription for service on Australian soil. We know there was campaigns yeah. prior to World War One for conscription opposing it but you could be conscripted to serve on Australian soil. But Hughes wanted to expand it to overseas service. In World War Two, the Australian troops who fought in parts of New Guinea were conscripts. Curtain, curtain changed the boundaries a bit. And World War Two, different needs. So what, how come? Oh, because that it, was classified as Australian soil, well, was PNG it? was part of Australia. It was a protectorate, so, it mm. were, so they were conscripted to go there. But so, some were, look, there was scope. It was scope. It wasn't overly utilised because there's a large. It wasn't really utilised because a lot of volunteers in World War Two. World War Two was a very different war to the first war, and the 1960s were quite different. We had conscripts throughout all the forties and fifties. You had service back home in Australia. You know, the um, Nashos, as they were called, lots of blokes with Nashos in the forties and fifties and the sixties. But Menzies wanted men legislation, so the Nashos could go not just to the Pakapanyal and these places. They could go to Vietnam and fight over there. So different but similarity. But in both cases, in the 60s and this day 100 years ago, it was about the Australian government pleasing their big masters to send our men to go overseas and fight and die these, these um, what's the word, horrendous trade wars. Yeah, but I'm trying to work out how the law, do they just suddenly sit up one night like in the, in the parliament and say, let's just... Yeah, Menzies passed legislation. There's legislation, it was passed in 64, was it November 64? It got through both houses. I can't remember. Existing, existing laws were amended, passed through both houses in 64. It's a long time after World War II. Oh, it was 19 years after World War II. 46 years after World War I, not after World War II. But Menzies' legislation has never been repealed. I've mentioned past times on, on your program. How did it bloody you. get through? I, I, I'd love to know. Well, you had someone the DLP find, and the Country Party. You had the someone Liberals. find out for me who voted on it. Oh, you have the DLP, the Liberals and the Country Party. The Red Hordes at the door of you know, Australia. Got to fight the Yellow Peril and the Red Hordes, don't we? You know, they'll, they'll take away our Australian way of life. They'll make us, they'll, they'll, they'll enslave us, won't they? Wasn't that the rhetoric of the time? 
And the Red Horde, the Red Peril from the North. The Red Horde and the Yellow Peril. You, you combine the xenophobic fear of Asia with the hatred of communism, and it's a perfect maelstrom for conscription. And in World War One, was the same thing. The, the opponents of conscription were the, um, the Catholics, or the Irish, or the, the pro-German stooges. Mm. And but jingoism was excessive in those days. I mean, look, I'm not to say it's much better now, but gee whiz, we know, like in parts of Western Victoria and in uh, South Australia, towns that have been long settled by Germans, had Germanic names, were um, forced to change their names, become anglicised. I mean, the Barossa Valley name remains, and uh, Harndorf's still there, but many others had to change the anglicised names. Um, yeah, world ones were jingoism run right, you know? But this was the water and law wars. It would end in the first few months. By Christmas, it'll be over. They'll all be home. Didn't work that way because modern machinery, industrialization, warfare changed it all. Machine guns, tanks, aircraft, and miles and miles and miles of barbed wire spread across France and the lowlands. Saw this horrendous waste of millions of lives. While the. Um, the Crooks and the Daimlers and the Havilands got rich. And it, look, it wasn't all gloom and doom because the end of the war saw the um, disposal of the Habsburgs, uh, the disposal of the Romanovs, and the disposal of the Ottoman Empire. Those empires all went. Yes, well, that's a couple of pluses there, Glenn. <laughs> well, mate, as Bud always says, one always divides into two, my dear. And um, for the negative stuff, there was some positives. And the, the monarchs across most of Europe, apart from the uh, Battenbergs, were sort of um, pushed aside. And the Battenbergs sort of reign supreme. And in the meantime, we still have this bloody conscription on our law books. To mind, it's, it's never been repealed. Whitlam never been repealed. repealed Whitlam, Fraser, Hawk. They could call you up tomorrow. Oh, look, we had a fear. I know we discussed this on the show back in 2002 and three with invasion of Iraq. But um, if they needed to, they could say, hey, this law's here. We'll dust off the books and here we go again. But today, 100 years ago, we voted no we said, we're not going to conscript our young men to fight and die in your, in your sordid, dirty trade war. Mr. Hughes, Queen of England, King of England, and the rest of the razzmatazz who run the world, you know? Yeah, I was thinking if, if you were allowed to be called up to defend something on Australian soil, it, you know, it'd be pretty few and pretty far-fetched. What the hell were you, were you going to defend in Australia? Well, you could defend... Um, uh, you could defend... Something, I suppose. Look, we, we were defending New Guinea. That was a, an Australian protectorate for a yeah. period of time, which shows, you know, the great white Australian masters and their, their caring attitude towards and our northern neighbours. Yes, of course, of course. But we did have a lot of fears about being invaded down here in Victoria. Look, uh, there's something about the, the fear of the Russians invading. Yeah, that was earlier. But the 19th century, for God's sake. You go the to Russians the... were going to invade us. That's right. Russia. They're going to come from Russia. Look, Russia has always been, there's always been a fear of Russia, but under the Tsars, but under the CPSU, but under Putin, there's always been this fear of Russia. It's the biggest landmass in the world, got lots of people, and it's always terrorised everyone else. How are they going to get here? They're going to sail all the way down. That's right. From the Black Sea through the Isthmus down. No, they'd have to sail from the Pacific side, wouldn't they? Yeah, from um, the top bit down past Japan. Yeah, from the top bit, that bit. Yeah. And come all the way down there and then yeah. all the way around the west of Australia. That's right. And come up to, that's well, where, to get to Melbourne, to, yeah. get, to get to there. It's somewhere around on the heads there with yeah, some guns. At Queenscliff. The Queenscliff. 
to save us from the Russians. The fort is still there at Queenscliff. The uh, if you go to Black Rock, the first oh, local naval it was boat a bad day was, at Black a, was Rock, a Cerberus. The Cerberus, so Cerberus, the Cerberus was a, a boat the Brit- the Victorian protectorate had. The, the colony in Victoria, its first boat was a Cerberus in the eighteen sixties, and it role was to protect Victoria from the Russian hordes, oh, Russian anyway. invaders. It's long been a phobia, the Russians. I said, under the Tsar, under the CPSU, under Putin, there's just been this fear of Russia. It's funny, though, why they'd end up down here in bloody Queenscliff is beyond me, the Russians. Well, there's a museum of Queenscliff. There's a Fort Delaire. Um, actually, at work, we're taking um, a busload of oldies in <laughs> two weeks of Queenscliff Fort for a day out. So I'll do some homework while I'm there. Yeah, and get some joys of working with older people. Yeah. Oh, that's just amazing, though. I can't imagine people being scared. Oh, if, if you were afraid of the Russians here, that would mean you had no idea of the distance involved. That's correct. You would have no idea. That's You'd correct. be in the same boat. Sorry, no pun Literally. intended. But as those poor bloody convicts yeah. who, who decided they'd break out of, you know, their jails in Sydney and yeah. head west. Over the mountains of China. Over the mountains of China. No idea correct. of that. There wasn't that access to information. But again, we don't forget Russia was an ally in World War One. They were yeah. an ally against the against the, the Bosch. The Bosch and the uh, and the Turks, you know. And they were our enemies for years prior and post. It's, look, political situations are very fluid. Things fluctuate. But one thing that can't fluctuate are facts. And as a great Russian figure once said, facts are stubborn things. And the fact is one hundred years ago today, we voted no. To conscription for Australians to fight and die overseas. And I emphasise that point because, again, we don't get taught these things. We don't get taught part of our history. And it's, it's a very proud moments to say, look, for all the horrors of World War One, and there's not many redeeming features, Australia is the only army in the world that had a full volunteer army. Everyone else, the French, the Kiwis, the British, Canadians, had conscripts. We said no twice. We had no death penalty the British demand we have a death penalty. Australians said, no, we won't kill our own men. So, yeah, for all the faults, there are some positives. But today is a centenary. We need to remember, my dear, it's our story. We discussed at the beginning his story, her story, our story. This is our story. Our story of struggle against oppressive odds, you know? Well, thanks for telling me all about that, Glenn. I, now I've got the, I'll know now when about that um, site. At the sun. But tell me, you went and saw Neil Cole's play the Fantastic. other night. Fantastic. It was a great night. Look, Neil has done a new play called 1916, and Neil's involved in a lot of the campaigns about the centenary of the plebiscites and the war. Um, it's about um, it. Uh, the main characters are Vida Goldstein yeah. and Amelia Pankhurst, the daughter of the... Um, who was that? Which, which, what was that? Remember Sylvia, name? I don't know. Yeah. And just the... the exploits their campaigning, their struggle against conscription. And um, look, there's a great choir. There's um, a group of young students from Brunswick Secondary, and they're called the, the Brunswick Young Women's Choir. These girls are fantastic. It was a, a great night. It was a sellout night. So Neil's a great playwright. Do yourselves a favour. It's on the Brunswick Mechanics Institute till about next week. But it's called 1916, and I highly recommend it. Yes, and you said it flashed... But on the back of the screen, the actors are on stage, and on the back of the screen, it's light, 
There's images flashing, images of the carnage uh, of Order One, mm. images, you know, the posters, recruiting posters, images mm. of the numbers voted, and uh, Dolce et Decorum Est. Aced. Oh, Dolce. Oh, my, well, my, let's, my it, dad was a Latin speaker. Well, Dolce no, et Decorum Est. We don't know what Latin sounds like because no one's spoken it for a very long time. Oh, it's, some high no, masses no, still got no Latin. One, yes, but that's that's a vulgar Latin which was taken over by the church. It's not the way Latin was mm. spoken. But uh, uh, it was uh, Wilfred Owen, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Right so Wilfred, uh, he, he would have learnt some at school, but we just know what it means. It's actually dulce e decorum est pro patria mori. Yes, yes. How sweet it is to die for your country. That's well, correct. Well, tell that to someone else, mate, not w- me. Wilfred Owen died. I don't think um, that Horace actually meant that. I think we might have found out that Horace was having a joke, was being somewhat I, I was somewhat ironic. Wilfred Owen died in the last days of the war. Yeah. The other, the other famous British poet of the war, there's three famous ones. There was Wilfred Owen, who died, who was opposed to war. Siegfried Sassoon, who oh, survived Sassoon. the war, badly damaged, yes. opposed to war. And the, um, the jingoistic Rupert Brooke, that who spoke so highly of the war. That, the poor, that sort of aristocratic. Boy, yeah, well, he died. Blood. He died of a mosquito bite on the way to Gallipoli. <laughs> died on the boat on the way to Gallipoli. He saw no action at all. And they mentioned uh, Rupert Brooke in the play, and he was a jingoistic, you know, corner of the world Englishman. Blah 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 blah. He Didn't was the one action. about being. Mozzie beat him. He was the one. Beat him. He was the one going on about to be over by Christmas, wasn't he? Well, for him it was. Yes, yes well, he well, died yes, sadly. <laughs> Jesus. Well, yes. Well, for him, it was. It, it was, was over. over by Christmas. Killed by, not by a Turkish bullet or a German shell, but by a mozzie bite. So anyway, listeners, Neil Cole's new play, 1916, is on. It's at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute. You've got to be careful. You were yodelling again, Glenn. Oh, well. We have to watch that yodelling because it buckers up the microphone. Okay. Well, also, now tonight at the Brunswick Library is... Prof- Emeritus Professor Michael Hamill Green speak on conscription. That's on from six PM. On a slightly separate note, I do a bit of writing, in case you don't know. And um I'm involved a little bit in a group called Word Weavers. Now Word Weavers, I'll give them a plug a bit. They've got a writing competition. Um if you want to write a short story or a ballad about Australian country life, they're looking for competitors and entries. So this is Word Weavers whose entries close on the sixteenth of December this year. So any short story of ballad, about 750 words in Australian life, uh, you can Google Word Weavers for their yes, detail. I, I think you have to Google Word I Weavers. I can't find their website. No, you have to Google it. All right. Word Weavers are a little writing group which I'm involved in. So do yourself a favour, Google Word Weavers and enter the writing contest. No it's worries. It's worth doing. Cause I'll be in it. So you aren't in the NanoMo? I'm in the what, good Lord? No, well, well obviously you're not. I missed it. Sorry. It's when you write a novel in November. No, I'm well. I'm writing. I'm, I've started two short stories for Word Weavers. One's they're both set in a in Australia in the north of Melbourne about my family arriving from Ireland in the 1840s and their experiences. And um, I'll I'll speak the specifics, but it's two short stories of Glenn's going to Word Weavers, and they're both based about my my Conrick family and their experiences in mm-hmm. a little area called Woodstock. Which is next to Kenlock. Things will never be the same again. Which is next to Kenlock U. Mm. Well, it's not going to call Kenlock U, is it? It's Donnybrook. Yes. But listeners, do yourselves a favour tonight. Please come along. It's at the Brunswick Public Library at 6pm near the corner of Dawson and Sydney Road. And Emeritus Professor Michael Hamill Green is going to speak on this day. And it's, it's 100 years ago today. And let's celebrate. Let's commemorate. Because Australians said no 
We're not going to fight your dirty war for you. Sure's a close vote. We're still a no vote. And um, next year is a second plebiscite like, because the buggers tried twice. And twice we said no. So there you go, listeners. October 28 is a day that lives on we should celebrate, commemorate, and enjoy. And as the words of my forebears, and as the words of many of those who opposed the Great War said, Chocula. Chocula. Well, everybody, here we are again. All of us in the uh, studio. So I'll say good morning. Good morning, Miss Susanna. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Irene. Good morning, Mr. Bagman. Good morning. Yes, and everyone, <clears throat> all say good morning together. Good, good morning, morning Miss Susan. No, I just... <laughs> I was going to say good... I meant good morning, everyone out there in Radio Land. All oh, right, OK. <laughs> and uh, happy uh, belated birthday, Irene. Oh, um, thank you. 73, last yes. Tuesday. Yes. And you went off to see a play. Did you or not? Yes. That's what I heard. And what was the play? It was... Did you know that... Are you bringing it up because I no. missed it? Oh, did you miss it? Oh, slept in again. <laughs> no, no. What? No. I left home on public transport and uh, caught the tram into the city and then the <coughs> tram up Sydney Road. Yes. Missed to the Mechanics Lyon. Institute. Yes, Mechanics Institute. Missed Glen Lyon Road for some reason and then sitting there thinking, where is Glen Lyon Road? Because they kept calling other roads until I got uh, to Moreland Road and I thought, I have oh. gone too far, haven't I? Yeah. So I got off. should have called into our house. <laughs> yes, well, I never was nearly to yeah. your place. I was going to come up and ask for a lift back. And then I was waiting 20 to 25 minutes for a tram to come to go backwards. In well, Sydney Road, the trams are every no, four to six minutes. No, not at that time. They the weren't night, on Tuesday night, obviously. No, oh. it took about it took more than twenty minutes. <laughs> they and knew that Irene was there. Yes, <laughs> they, were, they went on strike up the road, and then the uh, tram had a fight. I'm tired, thinking, is oh it? well, I'll be there for intermission, won't I? Oh, no, really? I got there five minutes before the play finished. Oh, so uh, I am going another night. It's a play by Neil Cole. That's it's right. About 1916. Uh, Back conscription. Back conscription. And I've heard good reports it's, about yes. it too. Apparently very good. I might even go myself because yeah, I've become I've become a theatre person. I seen um, um, Matilda the musical, mm. and I'm going to see the Book of Mormons. Oh, really? In February, they got a special on tickets, oh, so I'm going to go Mormons. and see that. It's, um, <laughs> it's apparently quite funny. It's oh, well, it? of course it is. Yeah, but, but it's some kind of musical, <clears throat> is it? Oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Okay, you and the Book of Mormons. You know, like those. Blokes with the you know the white and the shirts and the ties and come and knock on yeah, your door. Mormons, all that scratchy underwear. Yeah, the Seven yes. Day Cyclist. Yes, I've, or is that I've another read the Seven Day Adventist. Ah, Seven Day Adventist. Oh, right. No, I've read a lot about the Mormons. I've read a book mm. about them. Fascinating. <clears throat> well, that's what the play's called the Book of Mormons. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. So, well, maybe you should come and see the no, the play. Uh, Neil Cole's play with me. I Does can't. He have I'm a matinee. Not allowed to go out at night. Um, unfortunately, but... What, with other women? No, just not allowed to go out. <laughs> well, he's not allowed to go out with other women at night either, but no. but the daytime, surely, he's allowed to go out with other women. Well, sometimes uh, they let me out on Friday mornings. That's why I'm here. But I'm not allowed to go out at night. You went yeah, to see we had to... at night. Yes, but I had to sign for No, you. I seen the matinee. Oh, really? Uh, I had I to you. sign. <laughs> you did too. <laughs> What'd you say, Susanna? 
Well, I had to sign for him this morning as I signed every Friday morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, well, no, it's okay, got, he's well, all right, he's all right, yeah. he's all right. We've got to be careful what we say this morning because I'm going to be a bit controversial. But oh, yeah, no. you, you have to get oh. down to Bob Day from Family oh. Family First. Maybe he should oh. place his Family First because um, Family First Senator Bob Day could face a rare High Court injunction, injunction preventing him from supporting the Turnbull government's union-bashing legislation. Now, apparently yes. Bob Day... Uh, Bob Day retired uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, because his company went bust, his building company, yes. which is uh, involved in the building industry, went bust yes. because um, he went bankrupt. Yes. Now he's left a lot of families in the lurch and whatever, but he's going to come back to the to the Senate and vote uh, um, in favour of the ABCC. I don't know whether he actually put in a, a he's resigned. resignation, did he? Well, like he said he was going to resign, but I well, don't know whether he actually did. Well, it was on TV and I seen the words come out of his mouth. That he did, had resigned. Did he? Oh, I'm going. I have to resign because yeah, I'm bankrupt. I, I and don't I've, think he has. And I've left all these people in the lurch. All yeah. these people. Are oh, you allowed to be on the Senate if you're bankrupt? No. no. Well, no. then he shouldn't be there. No, I agree. But, uh, well, well, we'll go into that later. But anyway, yes, talk right. about hypocrites. Uh, Bob Day's one of them. So he's going to yeah. stay on. No, he's <laughs> bankrupt. No, actually, he's, he's gone bankrupt because gone the business bankrupt. is bankrupt. I'm sure that and Mrs Bob Day is... It's part of the building industry, so he's ripped off it. Yeah. Thousands yeah. of people with... Of yeah. workers yeah. and families and whatever. Houses haven't been finished and yeah. all over the country. Hmm. And uh, that he wants to vote on the, on the legislation to uh, stop paying. And we wonder if he was paying his workers properly. Hmm. Anyway, mm. talking about construction sites, I see that another building worker oh. uh, died yes. uh, yesterday, day yes. before. Yes. Happens too often, and yes. what does anybody do about it? Uh, all all they want to do is bring in laws to supposedly rein in the lawless CFMEU and other yes. people involved in it. They don't do anything about workers dying on the job, um, but they want to rein in the lawlessness of the CFMEU and other building unions. Give well, me a break. Well, exactly. I mean, what the CFMEU are doing is carrying on the Norm Gallagher History. Normie was the one who brought in so many of the changes to the to uh, the laws in relation to how workers can work on building sites. But um, all they're trying to do is keep keep it safe, pretty much. And uh, and they get opposition from all over the place because builders want to do what a lot of other employers do: is exploit their workers, and they don't want to have to spend money on safety. Mm. And uh, and this is what happens because it's such a dangerous job to have. If the unions weren't tough, um, it would be, and sometimes worse. break the law. Yeah, uh, then there'd be a lot more people, or men and women, dying on the job. Yes. So good luck to them. More power to their arm. Well, the people I like to see the people who complain about the union getting out there on high rises <clears throat> and on building sites and doing what people have to do. The sort of work they have, they'd be too scared to do it. They wouldn't be able to do it. No. And they'd be wanting hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. And then they can, people complain about how much the building workers earn. Well, you know, why is it only, why is it only certain white-collar workers who are allowed to earn a lot of money? Mm. 
This mm. is the thing that gets me. Why? Why? Why is that okay to be? You know, uh, well, even lawyers and doctors and bank managers, bank managers, all people who work in bank, all that sort of stuff, and uh, and yet it's you're not allowed to if you what do they call an ordinary old worker. Mm. But um, construction workers work shift work, work. they work Saturdays, yes. they work Sundays, they work out of normal hours, and it's only natural that they would get uh, penalty rates for working in the, yeah. in those, on and those good hours. And good wages. Good luck to them. Because yeah, it's hard work. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, it's very lucky. It's bloody hard, Yakka. Mm. Of course it is. And nurses should be getting more as well. Yep, I've got a, an affinity to nurses. I love them even more um, these days. Always, I had a... A, a great deal of respect for him, but I've never met a bad nurse yet. No, not not even me? Oh, well, you're <laughs> different, yeah. <laughs> any of us have spent any time ever in the hospital That's always right. come out yeah. saying, oh, thank God for the, for the nurses. nurses. Well, of course, my time spent in hospital was started off with having babies. So thank God for the nurses <laughs> all the way through, but thank God for the nurses mm. always. You know, that they're the ones. They're yeah. the ones there. They're the sort of in between the doctors and the prof- the other professionals and whatever, and they're the ones that come in and give you the personal care. And yeah, the, ones who, the, the ones who... And stick needles in you. The ones yeah. who come yeah. and pat me on the head and say, look, it's all right. Yeah. It's all right. Don't but worry about it. They're not going to so, die today. Yes. They yeah. also make sure that oh, yes. doctors are... Oh, paying attention and oh, doing yes, what I'm they not should be doing as well. There, yes, know. no, they're not just there for patting people's hands. They keep them on the straight but, and but I've always admired that while they're there doing all this work. Yes, while they're actually doing stuff, checking all these things going in and out of my body. Yes, charts, writing things in charts, doing all these things. They still have time to to lean over and pat me on the hand mm. and say, yes. "There, there." Yeah. <laughs> or say, it's, a, "It's all right. It's a, everyone mm. does this." You know, everyone feels like this. Oh, yes. In no. the midst of all the hard work that they do. Yes. Well, anyway, I'm lucky. Oh, well, I'm nearly I'm, in tears thinking yeah, of some I'm of the nurses, you know. I'm very lucky that I've got the uh, solicitor general sitting uh, sitting beside me because there was a recent case, <laughs> recent case in Sydney um, where the magistrate went a little bit um, further than he normally would have. Really? It's not often the magistrate uses the word you effing beauty ah. uh, in a judgment. Oh, did or he? he? I, to one oh, of really? I think he meant you effing <clears throat> bastard, didn't he? No, no. You effing beauty, because you know, apparently there was a demonstration against Funky Fred Nile, oh. and uh, <laughs> was, there was these young women um, who um, used the F word uh, in uh, Fred's uh, presence. So they were charged with yeah, using see, the not, F word. And, and it's not, look, the common law says it's not against the law to use the fuck word anymore. Yes. Oh, gee, sir. Yeah, well, it's me. Right. I represented somebody in court about yeah. it for saying that. It's not, it's not, and he was acquitted because it's not, uh, it's, uh, you're permitted to say fuck now. Really? Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, we don't. Well, in Victoria, oh, I'm yeah. assuming yes, in other that, places. They, yeah. No, we don't say it on radio, though. Oh, don't we? Oh, sorry. No, no. <laughs> well, sorry, Clark, we never used to anyway. <laughs> she was just telling us. This. Yeah. She was just telling us. In fact, you can tell us again, Irene. Tell yes, us again that what you can said. say the fuck word in Victoria. Yeah. Mm. So that's uh, right, because she's explaining something yes. of, of a legal nature. Yes. And it took 12 months for the magistrate to come up with that, or for the people to be 
brought before the court. The yes, and I can't uh, wait to, to come across can, Fred. Major crime. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine a magistrate sitting there and saying, "You fucking beauty." What a beauty! What, what a, a magistrate! Beauty. <laughs> so, is that uh, what? How did, what context yeah. did he say that? Well, I'm not too sure, but uh, oh, okay. <laughs> never <read> the, <laughs> I never read the story that much. No, he obviously acquitted. Let yeah, the he person did. off. He let him off. It was <laughs> uh, F. Fred Nile. They had yeah. signs saying F. Yes. Fred Nile. No, they were chanting. Oh. No chanting, F you, Fred Nile. Yeah. And oh. next time I see Fred Nile, he'll come across me, I'll scream it out too. Oh, that's right, because everybody was saying fuck you on Facebook the other day. Yeah. That's why it was. Yes. Oh. Did you miss that? Oh. I reckon we're in trouble. It's Even all right, Bagman. The Solicitor General is saying the F word, and I'm not doing and it. I'm not doing it either, Bagman. No. Right. We know the, better. It's in the context of legal advice, sorry. It's in the context of legal advice, but we're the ones who know. We're the ones with the class. And, uh, yes. and Irene's yeah. giving us in the context of legal advice. So it's perfectly all, perfectly all right. That's right. And if yes. anyone out there... We should have given you a warning yes, beforehand. Yes, sorry, uh, warning, warning. Cover the, the, legal, the legal disclaimer. Some <laughs> words may be used which or... may offend some people. Mm-hmm. And if you're offended by that, well, I'm very disappointed. Mm. I think it's the most, one of the most commonly used words around. Absolutely. Hey, um, hey I see that uh, well-known environmentalist uh, Alan Jones from 2GB in Sydney apparently uh, flew over the Barrier Reef the other day. Oh. And you know, in a helicopter, and declared it was okay. Everything oh, was it? okay in the Barry Reef. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't see anything wrong. Any of nope. those bits that are dead or anything. Nope, nope. So he nope. flew over a certain bit of it that's well, not dead. Well, I've got to be careful what I say. Too, too bad a helicopter wasn't flying over a public toilet in England about twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ah, they um, are unbelievable. We're not supposed to mention that. No, I, I don't. Uh, no, I don't, don't want to that. sound homophobic no. about no, it. But you know, yeah. uh, this guy disappoints me because he writes letters to children and whatever, um, uh, letters that uh, are a bit dubious, and uh, was caught the public dunny. Um, yet he's well, think, the first person uh, <laughs> to put the boots in the gay people. I think what's more interesting probably is uh, when he was uh, <coughs> teaching. Uh, at school, and uh, I won't say any more than that, and also uh, managing certain rugby union players. Yeah, anyway, well, that, that's what I remember. That's even also. more interested in yeah, that than yeah. that. But anyway, it's, there's nothing wrong with uh, probably anything that he was doing. Who knows? But he's a hypocrite. That's the only problem. That's the point I was trying to get out, yes. Irene. He was a, he's a hypocrite. Yes, um, because he'll rip pieces people and he's a liar. For, and he's Look, a liar. He said the barrier reefs. Yeah. Oh, there are plenty of things he's lied about. He said a number of things about a prime minister too that I would have had him yeah. in jail for if I'd had the chance. Oh yeah. yes, was about he Julia Gillard. Yes, was yes. he the he one that said she should have been the prime minister? The yeah. prime minister was he the one that said she should be put in the hessian bag and yes. thrown overboard yes. into the ocean? Yes. yes. Oh, that's yeah. the prime minister. Yes. I would never suggest anybody goes to jail because it's every prisoner's right to try and escape. But many uh, um, escape in its shaft bag. Yeah. Yes. That's how I learned to swim. You know. Getting out of dad, the heart, the hardest part was getting out of the hessian bag. Were you in Alcatraz? Were you? No, <laughs> you escaped my dad taught me to swim. Can I just say <laughs> something sure. that's interesting? What about the tour of the week? When's that coming up? Uh, yes, it'll come up in Go a minute. Ahead. 
Um, no, the CFA, did you notice that they've withdrawn their uh, illegal action in the courts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't that interesting? Well, um, they got their way, didn't <laughs> exactly. they? Exactly. They got their way with um, the Prime Minister intervening. Yes, that's and right. And passing uh, new workplace laws. Yes, which are going to be challenged in the courts. If only it was that easy to challenge the workplace laws. Wouldn't yes. that be great? Yes, well, they... Um, they, it was all, as far as I'm concerned, it was all a political, yeah. politically... Which aren't. Uh, it was. Beat up. It was nonsense. Well, the thing was it was nonsense because it only... Uh, they were putting out lies, and they're certainly doing that on my Facebook page, about the issues, and their supporters were doing that as well because the issue wasn't that it was affecting all the CFA and what there's a couple of thousand in Victoria, aren't there? Mm. And and it was about the thirteen that have got dual management. Of it's got professional. There are about thirteen of them got professionals and uh, and volunteers, mm. and they were the only ones being affected in any way. And it wasn't really affecting them in the way that they said it was. So I think I think it was a very personal thing against Peter Marshall. Also, it, it he, may have he been. can rub people the wrong way, Peter. Um, yes, you know, but, uh, he's a good bloke. Well, I have, do have a bit of a problem about the attitude towards women mm, um, mm. being firefighters, and I think there is an issue about that. But I do think, in terms of of that agreement, that um, it wasn't going to affect the, <coughs> the volunteers. I don't believe in volunteers anyway, and I'm going to upset a few people. But I think everybody should be paid for what they do. Mm, mm. And if you're going to have firefighters, it might be better to have them professionally trained and always there, ready to go. Good anyway. point. Good point. And um, what happens to other organisations that go for an enterprise agreement uh, at Fair Work Australia who who involve uh, where there's that volunteers? volunteers. Well, well they have to go have for the same process. Oh, Are they right, going to be able to intervene? Intervene? Exactly. It affects me. I mean, it's outrageous, really, to to do that because how can you have somebody who is not employed and therefore is not part of it? Uh, intervening from outside. Exactly. Yeah, and we must send yes. it. Must send a cheerio so. to Irene Weber this week. She's been giving oh, me yes. some information on the latest um, round of EBAs involving the health services union and whatever. Mm. Yeah, they're actually going to have a vote. I think it may have taken place yesterday and next week sometime. Um, you know, when you have a vote um, to have an EBA. You normally involve uh, meetings and you involve the uh, Electoral Commission and a secret ballot is held and all that sort of stuff. Um, Well, there was a company called Australian Elections um, that are going to hold the poll about where people, uh, how people vote, and it's going to be done by telephone. Can you believe that? No. Yes, it is. It's going to be done (laughs) by telephone. Um, on two occasions, we should have had, that's how we should have run the census. Yeah. Run it by yeah, phone. They it's could have rung us. Yeah, well, it's called the Australian Electoral Company. Oh, AEC, oh. same same um, same Company. initials, and it's going to be done by telephone. So members are going to be um, uh, telephoned or phoned and say, "Do you agree with the EBA? We will give you three uh, percent increase in your wages." It? 
Will they have seen the oh, NBA? Yeah, well, I should imagine that. Uh, I think it's taking place at the Austin Hospital now. Um, so, yes, they would have had to have seen it. But they, how do they go about it? Would it people, would, it would well, how be, do they know it's a member on the other end? It, it would be very difficult to cheat, wouldn't it? Well, <laughs> Very, very difficult. How would they know the people on the other end of the phone understand they might be from a, distant, a exactly. different ethnic uh, background? Or oh, they could be me. That's right. Look, I could have 10 phones. Well, it's called the Australian Electoral Company. Company. And it must be a new... Obviously, it's legal. Um, Did they set it up? No, I think, I think they've done it before. But uh, no, when, no. when the Health Services Union with Diane Asmar and Kimberly Kitchering are involved, then I'm going to be a bit suspicious. Can I just... That reminds me. A friend of mine told me he saw Michael Danby on TV. Well, he's a politician. Where else? And it's the first time ever. Oh, I've seen him on te- television. And oh, that's what he looks like. <laughs> he had, had the slightest idea what he looks like. And what he was doing was supporting Kimberly Kitching, saying what a wonderful woman she was. Actually, I have a friend who, oh, I shouldn't say this, I hope Michael Danby doesn't listen to us, does he? No. I have a friend who we works hope in his he office. Either. Well, I hope he does. We <laughs> haven't done, said anything wrong. I have a friend who works in his office. He's not allowed to mention my name. Really? In the office, no. Oh God! And persona non grata in the Danby mm. office. Well, I wonder why. Well, I don't know. Because you've had, why. you have a history of looking, uh, standing up for other people and standing up for yourself. That's why. Maybe um, we should do a uh, phone poll. Yeah. Right. Oh yes. Yeah. Maybe oh. we should. <laughs> and, um, oh well. <clears throat> tool of the week. We want tool of the week. Mm. Actually, I hadn't thought of one, but I'm going to have to think up. I read. I Sorry. Can I just go into something while you're thinking of it? <laughs> yes. Because domestic slavery, sex slaves and scandal-ridden convenience store chain 7-Eleven are top of the agenda for a new powerful government-run migrant task force headed by Professor Alan Fells. Now, where oh. has the workforce got when we're involving domestic slavery, sex slaves. Sex slaves. Sex slaves. I'm not, 7-Eleven. No, 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 not at 7-Eleven, including 7-Eleven. Oh, no, including 7-Eleven, because 7-Eleven actually sacked uh, Professor Alan Fells um, a couple of months ago because he uh, he was on top of them about uh, making sure that their workers were paid the correct rates of pay. But where has it got in our workforce where people coming in on 457 and 417 visas... Oh, sorry, I was getting confused. It's, it's, it's the visas you're talking about. Well, and I was getting confused with the with the bloody... the, the shop, on the not the knock shop, the... The shop on the corner where you get your my kids. Gee, tickets I haven't heard that for a while, the old <laughs> knock shop. I was getting confused with the no, shops. What I'm trying to say is that domestic slavery is obviously rampant. Sex slaves are apparently rampant. Uh, um, and oh. people on 457 visas have been shown to be absolutely exploited um, by people working at 7-Eleven. It's not only 7-Eleven. It's every major pizza chain, every major convenience store. And every store. major brothel, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, that's right. And it's Coles and Woolworths and whatever. They've done a deal with the Shop Assistance Union to rob their members of $100 million a year. And at the same time, we have um, people like Kate Carnell, the Minister for Small Business, um, who's saying that uh, penalty rates ought to be abolished. Well, 
Tell that to Coles and Woolworths uh, when they're doing cosy deals with the Shop Assistance Union that cost their members $100 million per year. Yes. Disgraceful. They would have been jail. I never advocate taking anyone to jail, but that's a filthy deal. Yep. That's a dirty deal done dirt cheap. Yeah, yep. it's disgusting. Yep. Well, we make them tools of the week. Oh, right, okay. Gonna, we'll make them tools, but also I was going to give Darren Hinch a tool of the week. Why? Because, well, because he's going to always support the ABCC Is legislation. He? Yeah, well, he doesn't know any better. Doesn't matter. He's in the bloody Senate. Well, he should know better. Oh. What is he, he doing in the Senate? If he doesn't know better. You can't say, oh, I don't know. He probably I got... thought he was a worker's friend, but I think he was oh, just a... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Probably, I think probably got his... Um, publicity secret. Probably got his transplanted liver from a... Oh, yes. From a yeah, from poor a work, worker. Poor worker, yeah. yes. Yeah, but so, it's not flying through uh, veins. He's, he's going to be a real problem, that bloke. He is. He's, the uh, point is you can't yeah. sort of... You can't take a job like that with the responsibility for it and, and not... Try and find out. You can't say, well, I don't know. No, but he, re- he ran on a single-issue campaign about uh, um, more penalties for uh, sex offenders and whatever. More so penalties for everything. Yeah. So I don't expect yeah. him to and know. It, he's also supporting the reduction in paid parental leave as well. So yes. that makes him even the bigger And, and he's supporting uh, the six billion welfare yeah. cuts. Yes. Six, uh, well, actually, fair, um, not fair work, um, uh, One Nation come out and supported oh, uh, a, the yeah. cut in uh, welfare payments. Well, they ought to realise a lot of their, the people that support, support them are old people. Well, I hope those old people have, have taken note of that. Exactly. And it's a wonder to me why someone hasn't assassinated that woman, and I'm not inferring that someone does. But sometimes I Ooh. wonder why no one has. And just recently, while I was looking up for some photographs for you, actually, Bagman, oh, really? I came across an amazing bit of footage of, pardon the name, Kathy Jackson. Oh, my God. As she's walking out of the court where it's been proved that she's stolen all this money from the Peter McCallum workers. Yep, yep. And as she walks out of the court, there are all these workers from Peter McCallum saying, you know, how you know how you how low can you go to yeah. everything? And she's rolling her eyes yeah, up. Yeah, she was head. rolling her eyes up, wasn't she? Uh, and that's a, yeah, I thought it's a wonder someone doesn't throw oh, a rock at your head. What well, are you all worried about? Well, she's not in jail yet. and uh, Like a teenager, though. Yeah. Whatever. And I recently wrote to Fair Work Australia asking... Oh, did you? Well, no, I was asking for, for under Freedom of Information, any documents and whatever relating to Kimberley Kitching, who was was, um, recommended by the Royal Commission uh, in the Trade Union Governments to be um, uh, penalised for forgery. Anyway, if, if you want to make some money... Um, uh, next Tuesday, um, I'm not allowed. I'm on the pension. The Caulfield Melbourne Cup double uh, will be won by Jamaica. You'll get a, okay. you'll get about seven dollars on the day if oh, you wait okay. long okay, enough. No seven dollars. Yeah. So let's go out in the same old way. Why not? Dare the struggle. Dare to win. Don't fight. You lose. Good morning from left after breakfast.